Why don't you go ahead and stand with me first, actually. Take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 28. I think we were there last week. And we're going to uh, look at the same two verses. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We're going to pray and go into, into God's word. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can you say amen? Well, Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity to be in this house with your people. I'm, I'm certainly asking that the word of the Lord and the message that, that is preached will minister to each one of us, that it will speak to us, Lord God, and have an impact where we can apply it to our life and see the fruit of it. Lord, we pray for Pastor Darren at Sierra, Sierra Vista Presbyterian, his church, his team, the work of, that they're doing in their part of the vineyard. Also pray for Pastor Darren's mother, Lord, through all of uh, the medical challenges she's facing. Pray for words of, of good health. Lord, I pray for every church in our community to grow as Christ is exalted and glorified. And may you be a true blessing to us in our remaining time together here in your presence. In Christ's name we pray, may the people of God say amen. You may, you may be seated. One of the things that uh, I enjoy reading about, watching stuff on, and, and uh, certainly I've been to Gettysburg on numerous occasions, is things regarding the Civil War things regarding the Civil War. And there was a general-in-chief that Abraham Lincoln had put in charge by the name of George McClellan. Uh, now, McClellan was a, he was a brilliant guy. He was, he was 15 years old when he actually went to military school. Uh, a great strategist, smart man. When he was winning battles, even as, as a young person, they they were calling him the young Napoleon. He was, he was a sharp guy. Well, as the Civil War moved on through, certainly after Gettysburg and, and on, there were so many different times where the Union Army was in position to strike and finish off uh, General Lee and the Confederate Army. And McClellan had just shown just such great leadership. He was a great recruiter. The army had increased by 300%. Uh, it was a large army, strong army. And Lincoln kept giving him instructions. Finish the job. Finish the job. Lee is in striking distance. Just finish it off. And he kept sending back excuses. Well, I need a couple more months for more training. I need a couple more months for more strategizing. I need more time for this. And more time for that, and I got to recruit a few more, and he just kept giving excuses after excuses. Uh, he, he, as smart as he was, and as sharp as he was, he was not able to finish the job. He was not able to accomplish the mission. So Lincoln replaced him with a man that was nowhere near as smart, uh, and, I, and I don't say this as if he was a dumb guy, but Ulysses S. Grant was not the strategist or the tactician that McClellan was. But I, I do tell you one thing about Grant. Um, that dude would take on a beehive buck naked. I mean, he was a fighter. He did not, 
he would go right into the fight. And sure enough, it was Grant that finished the job, accomplished the mission. The reason I say that is that there's a lot of things that we do as a church. And I'll even, I'll, I'll, uh, you'll hear things, if you've been here long enough, you, you see things. There's a lot of things we do as, as a church. But the mission of the church is to make disciples. That's the mission of the church. Out of all of the things that we do, our number one mission, the one that we are set out to do and informed that we got to accomplish is making disciples. Uh, I read a, 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 a writer, Bill Hull, he, he made the statement that the, the crisis at the heart of the church is the product that we're producing. He went on to say in that, that every pastor has to ask themselves a question. What kind of people are you actually growing up in your ministry? What kind of people are you actually growing up? And so when you read posters like Barna, posters uh, Barna and Gallup, they'll tell you that among confessing Christians, that the lifestyle of a lot of Christians is no different than the people that are living in the world. It's, it's, no, it's, no, it's no different. But Jesus countered that. He made it clear to us that our job is to make Christ followers, people that are conformed to the image of Jesus, people that live a life according to the precepts of Christ. That, that's the mission. Matthew 28, 19 that we read, and it'll probably be on the screen again. You'll, you'll see four verbs in there. You'll see go, you'll see make disciples, you'll see baptizing, you'll see teaching. Four verbs. But three of those verbs are only there because of the main one, which is make disciples. The reason that we go is to make disciples. The reason that we baptize is because we're making disciples. The reason that we teach is because we're making disciples. Making disciples is the central theme and central work of the church. That's, that's our number one commission. Robert Coleman in his classic, The Plan of Evangelism, he says this, the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts into the name of the triune God, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build men like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only followed Jesus themselves, but led others to follow him also. That's the work. That's the mission. Oftentimes, maybe churches are judged by how many people they attend or how, many, uh, how big their budgets are and, and all kinds of other factors that I think are important, but should not be the, the, the end goal. The end goal is producing Christ followers. Everyone comes to Jesus by making that confession of faith that Jesus is now trusted by them to be Lord and Savior. That, that's followed by an act of repentance where you turn from what you believed about God and what you believed about Christ and what you even thought about the, maybe the things of the Bible or, or, or the truth for our life, you turn from that, which is what we call repentance, and commit yourself to following the teachings of the Lord. Now, the confession of faith is a one-time deal. You make that one-time confession of faith and believe me, the Spirit of God, if it's a true confession, comes into your life. Most of you know, though, that repentance for us is a lifetime, right? We're always repenting. We're always being challenged in how we think about something 
in a way that we probably shouldn't or maybe something that we did or were tempted to do or, or something that we said. And, and there's that constant uh, repentance, constantly turning to see things the way that Christ taught us and, and the way that things are supposed to be with our confession of faith. So that repentance is an ongoing, and it leads us in that plan, that purpose, that pursuit uh, of the Lord Jesus. The, the meaning of the word uh, disciple, in, in the New Testament, the, the Greek word is matetas, but it actually is more defined. It means pupil and it means learner, but the picture of it comes from the, from the, from the Old Testament, where the, the Hebrew scholars, they used a word that was Talmud is, is the word. And it, it's much more than a student. It, it's, it's, it's someone who has went up to one of the uh, religious leaders or, or, or one of the uh, uh, community leaders or, or one of the priests who, who they went up to them and said that they want to learn from them. And they were invited to do so. And during that period of time, the, the, the leaders would would question the Talmud about their life and, and uh, how they were responding to things and how they were applying things. The more that they responded and the more they desired to learn, the more that they were invited to be along with them, even with the, with the idea that they were going to in turn uh, teach others. But the idea was to be so close to them that, that they would almost take on every persona about them. Ray Vanderlaan, he said this, one of the highest compliments you could give a Talmud is, is to say to a person, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. In other words, that you were so close to the one that you were learning from, that, that, that the dust of his feet got over yours. The idea for us is to be so close to Jesus that even when I walk into a room, I don't necessarily have to tell someone that I'm a Christian. It's just evident. It's just seen. People look at you and say, there's something different about you. They may not be able to nail down what it is, but you stand out from everyone else. We're that close to Jesus that our commitment is to follow after him, that our steps are in the steps of Christ. I think a great uh, illustration of that in the Old Testament is the one that we read about in 1 Kings dealing with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a great uh, prophet of God and uh, done 17 miracles that we can count uh, in the Scripture. And the, the, the Scriptures give a prophetic implication that the one who would follow after him would actually do more miracles than him. And it, it, it is a fact that Elisha's 18th miracle actually was when he was dead, but he certainly did uh, do more miracles than Elijah. But, but the setting of 1 Kings 19 is after Elijah had done that great uh, work on Mount Carmel, where he went up against the prophets of Baal, Ahab and Jezebel had sent their prophets, and, and uh, Elijah was concerned about the people following after these other gods, Baal and Asheroth and etc., following after them. The whole nation was getting deceived by these false leaders. And instead of them committing to the one God, uh, they were following after all these other gods. And Elijah set up stage this big, big event on Mount Carmel. 
and said for the prophets to, to come. And 450 of those false prophets came and they established a sacrifice. Elijah made the statement that the, you, you as a nation, as a people, need to know that there's only one God. You've got to make a decision on who you're going to follow. This one God that we know is the God of, of heaven. And sure enough, they have this great showdown. The 450 prophets do everything they can for a fire to come down from heaven, for this sacrifice to be lit up and nothing happened. And Elijah tells them basically clear out, puts water on the sacrifice, calls to the God of heaven. Sure enough, fire comes down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice, and Elijah has all 450 prophets killed uh, because, of, because of them being false prophets. It's an interesting statement. He did not let them leave that place, killed every one of them. Well, Jezebel gets word about it. Ahab gets word, Jezebel gets word, and they send word to Elijah because of what he's done. By this time tomorrow, he would be dead. So Elijah runs. You see him stopping at a tree, and he's acting like he's down and depressed and discouraged, and the Lord has left him to be killed by this woman, and then he goes on to a cave, and while he's in that cave, the Lord speaks to him and lets him know there's still work for him to do. And one of the works for him to do was to anoint a prophet that would be on the scene after him. And this particular prophet was Elisha. And that's where we are in the story here in 1 Kings 19. 19 verses 19 through 21 says this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now, just to bring this in contemporary farmer terms, they had so much land, so much property, that today in our terms, it would be like walking on a field and there's 12 combines in the field. So 12 team of oxen in the field. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, then walked away. That was, that was the signification that I am calling you to follow me as I follow God. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. It doesn't seem like it's an odd request. I get it. I'm going to follow after you. This is a call of God. I'm going to commit my life to this. I'll do that, but let me first go and tell my folks goodbye. Elisha replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. In other words, don't let this moment just be a fleeting moment. Don't let this just be an occasion where you know God is doing something in your life and you promise, okay, I get it, God, and I'll get to it. How many times we let that happen in our life, even from the time that we give our life to Christ, we get overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and the burdens of our life lift and we can see that God is doing some changes and some things in our life. And instead of holding on to what God is doing, as life goes on three, four weeks down the road, you realize you're a little off track from where God called you, but your mindset is, but I'll get back to it. He said, don't you forget what I've done to you. Elisha got that message. And he goes home and he cuts up every ox and slaughters them. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I was his daddy and he went back to my farm and he busted up all the combines, that would have been a problem. But he, he does all of that to make this statement. I know what God is calling me to do. 
I know I'm to follow Elijah, and I'm not going back to that old life. He's making that statement that I'm not going back. And sure enough, Elisha got it, and he followed after Elijah. He followed Elijah to the very end. He kept asking Elijah, will you give me a double portion of your anointing, a double portion of your anointing? And Elijah said to him, if you're with me when the Lord calls me up, then your request will be answered. And if you know anything about the end of Elijah's story, there's only two people in the Bible that we know of that did not see death. And one of them was Enoch, who was just translated and taken to, before the Lord, and Elijah, where there was a fiery chariot that came and took Elijah into the presence of the Lord. But there Elisha was receiving and committing to following after the Lord because he recognized he was a disciple of him. That, that's the call. We see this played out in the, in the New Testament, and, and uh, out of all of the, the different things in the, the Chosen, there's some wonderful scenes in that series, the, uh, the Chosen. Of course, it opens up with the first one with Mary Magdalene, which is off the chart. But my, 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 probably my favorite scene is when Matthew, the tax collector, responds to the call of Jesus. Matt, Luke 5, 27 and 28, it says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Here, here was a man that was manipulating the system. Here was a man that was gaining from the Romans. Here was a Jewish man that had betrayed his own people and had much to gain and was gaining much. But when he heard the call of Jesus, it so penetrated his heart that he left everything to follow after Jesus. That's discipleship. That's being a Christ follower. We could be like the folks in Matthew 8, 18 through 21. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. It strikes me here, even in this text, that so often people admire Jesus, but they don't want to follow him. They like what they see that Jesus can give them. They like what they've gained from Jesus. They see what others have. So much so, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, dude, I ain't going nowhere. You still want to follow me? I don't have a place to live. You still want to follow me? I don't have a place to lay my head down tonight. You still want to follow me? Because following Jesus is not about what you can get. Following Jesus is where he can get you. Where Jesus can get you. And so, so that, that, that discipleship to be a Christ follower means to turn from the old life and the old ways and turn to the ways of Christ. You may not have to leave home uh, like Elijah did, and you may not have to leave your job like Matthew did, but, you, but you're absolutely giving yourself over to following the teachings of Christ and the ways of Christ and the manners of Christ. It's all about sanctification. It's all about sanctification. Jesus did not die on the cross to leave us in the condition we were in. Jesus died on the cross to take us out of that condition to take us out of the worldliness, to, to take us out of our silliness, actually to save us from ourself and all of that foolishness and to sanctify ourselves unto the Lord, to live a life unto him of holiness. First Thessalonians 4, 1 and 3 says, 
Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For we remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to live holy. It's about sanctification, being a Christ follower, being marked and identified as one that lives like Jesus. And so at CTC, we're very much, as, as I hope you know and, and learning, very much committed to doing so. It's the job of the local church. It's the job of the local church to help people form their lives. Much of what we do on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, whether it be Sunday morning here at the church or Wednesday night with our youth groups or throughout the week with our small groups, is help people spiritually form and shape their lives after the way of Christ. It's counter to the way that we were born to be. We were born, uh, first of all, born into sin and born to follow after ourselves and what we see as the right thing, but we are being formed and shaped to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And from that, we're able to have an impact upon the lives of our families and our friends and, and relationships. That's the first mission of the church. We do a whole lot of good works, definitely, absolutely preach the gospel. But the desire for us is, is for you to become mature believers of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 gives us the formula for that. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, to equip so that you can do this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of, the church, head of his body, the church. It's about us being mature. It's about us growing up. It's about us becoming mature people in the faith to truly be Christ followers, to follow after him. And, and I don't need to talk to you much about the current climate. You, you absolutely know the kind of climate that we're living in on, on all arenas, uh, the, 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 the different mores out there and the cultural thoughts and the direction of a whole lot of society, uh, things that the society is going in. And, and oftentimes, of course, I think it's all of us understand as Christians, we definitely are the minority in a whole lot of things that we do and a whole lot of things that we say and a whole lot of things uh, that we believe. And that's not always accepted uh, in a good manner. People will persecute us and, uh, and attack us. But, but you got to go from beyond a convert to being a true disciple. Hear me on this. Converts will accept the cultural condition. But disciples want to have an infection in the culture and bring about some change. Converts will declare Christianity, but they'll highlight worldliness. But disciples live out of Christianity that denounces worldliness. We want to live in a manner that Christ has assigned. I told the first service I was embarrassed when I uh, thought to use 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, which I'm not even sure if it's going to be on the screen but to put it in this message, I, I had to do a quick search, and, and I'm not even going to tell you, I was so embarrassed on how long it's been since I've used these passages in a sermon, but 
they're very apropos. Listen to what the writer is saying about us as believers and disciples of Christ. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the, Lord, uh, love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. It's that real clear distinction of loving the world or loving the Savior that I committed my life to. Loving Jesus, the one who died on the cross for me, or holding on to the world. You might remember in the, in the end of 2 Timothy, Paul was writing about uh, some folks. Maybe it was Titus. He was writing about some folks that was with him, and he had got thrown into prison. And he said, I need you to send someone to come be with me because the mission who was traveling with me has loved this world and went back into the world. That's the threat that's upon us if we don't embrace this Christ who absolutely saved us. Am I talking to the right church? Y'all doing all right? And so, so we're committed to making disciples on every, every level, uh, from, from children on. I love, absolutely love, and I, and I pray that, that you're experiencing it, what, those of you that have children, what we do here in our children's ministry. Our, our desire from the time those children walk in that classroom is for them to understand Jesus and understand the gospel. We're not sitting in there doing romper room with them. I really dated myself. Most folks don't even know what a romper room is. I'm so sorry. But uh, uh, I don't know, the Sesame Street, y'all got, maybe that's one. We're not doing that stuff. We're, ne- we're in there teaching people, these young people, about the gospel of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. We got outstanding children's ministry leaders, Gabriel and, and uh, Jolene and Anthony and Amber. For decades, Rennell has established a sound, solid children's ministry where, where we see the fruit of it. There's no greater joy for me than when I get to stand on this stage and dedicate the children of people who were children in our children's ministry, gave their life here, got baptized here, got married here, now having children and serving here. Be- because that's the mission of Jesus. You-, you-, you remember this in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. Sometimes people have this idea that, you know, you just let children grow up and as they get older, they'll get it. No, you start when they're young. You start when they're very young, teaching them the ways of Christ. Mark 10 13 through 16, and when they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them, which is just ridiculous. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, even children belong in the kingdom of God. Even children should be taught the things of the kingdom of God. Even children should be discipled in the ways of the kingdom of God. They're not excluded. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. It's the job of the local church to come alongside parents. And don't miss this point. It is the parents' responsibility to teach the children. That's the parents' We come alongside and make sure that they're sured up and and help you in the process of that, that, that Christian and spiritual education. But what we've learned more so now is that there's more and more people coming into CTC who have no spiritual religious background at all. And we're saying, it's quite all right. We'll take it from here. 
We'll take it from here. We'll help them learn. We'll help them know the things of faith. There's, there's parent after parent that's here that can tell you the reason we stayed at CTC is because after every Sunday, our children would tell us the things they learned and how much they were blessed by it. It's, it's our responsibility to disciple even from a, a young age. De- Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19 says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. I probably should tell you what's happening here. The Lord is talking to the nation of Israel. They've already received the laws of the Lord and how they're to live. And the Lord is telling them, even as they travel through the wilderness area and get ready to be planted in that promised land, that they're, they're to take, there's portions of the, of the law, uh, portions of the, of the scrolls that they were to put in little boxes and wear around their, show, uh, their arms so they wouldn't forget those things when they're spending time with their children. They had phylacteries, little boxes around their forehead so that whenever they're with their children, they're not just talking about, you know, all kind of nonsense stuff. They're actually communicating them the Scriptures. And if they haven't got them memorized, they could just pull those verses out and, and those passages out and share it with them. Now, now listen, I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't think of the last time, if I ever have, saw anybody walking around downtown with his Bible wrapped around his head. But, but you carry your Bible. Many of you do. Matter of fact, when I have you stand, not all of you stand with this. Some of you stand with your electronic devices. That's one way. But here's another way. You get the Word of God in your heart. You get the Word of God in your heart, and you constantly communicate with your children the things of the Lord. It's a teaching thing so that they can also know the ways of salvation, know the ways of truth, and try to head off some of the things that you may end up dealing with, on, with later on in life. But it doesn't stop there for us. It goes right on into our uh, city youth ministry, a continuation of the things that began when these children are young. Every Wednesday night when they gather here, there's either a small group setting or a general setting, and, and they're taught the things of the Lord. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, everything they do in the youth service is probably not my cup of tea. There's some things that they do that's right along with their, with their line of, of, of uh, things that they can relate to and understand. But this is the one thing I can tell you. They're taught how to worship, and every week, Tyrone or whoever teaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're giving the word of God so that those young people know how to see things from a Christian perspective. And it moves right on into our college age and, and young adults. We have some outstanding Young adult leaders in our City Lights is a young adult ministry led by uh, Andy and Uvia, who just got married, by the way. God bless you guys. Uh, led, led, leads that ministry, Alyssa Gonzalez, along with them. That's why we're starting our City Leadership College in the fall. We've done leadership schools. We've done intern programs. But we want to help young people, even before they move on further in life, to have more of a foundation of their Christian faith, have more of a truth of what God is doing in their life, before they make some major decisions in life and, and fill, uh, fill them up with the truth of God's Word and help them apply it in their life. And we move right on. And, and adults, we have our uh, city life groups, great groups around the city. I think it's 30 groups that we have scattered around our town where any day of the week you can get in one of those groups, whether it's a men's group, a women's group, a, a co-ed group, uh, married groups, etc. We got great small group leaders that are concerned about your life. Don and Mary Cruz are two of the best disciples that, that, that uh, God has produced. People that love you, that will teach you in, in circles instead of a rose, that, that are invested in your life. Why? Because we want you to grow up in the faith and know who Jesus is 
We want you to be a Christ follower, not just a convert. The mission is only accomplished if you become a disciple of Jesus. House to house they taught. You see that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5. They went from house to house. Even on the day of Pentecost, that great day when 3,000 people was there, heard Peter preach about Jesus. It was such a monumental moment that they got convinced in their heart that Jesus was true. He was the Son of God. He did die on the cross for them. That they surrendered and said, what do we do? What do we do? If this Jesus is real and who he is and he died on the cross for us and rose from the dead, what do we do? And Peter told them, every one of them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. But they didn't, when that happened, they didn't just pack their lunch and go home. It was such a monumental moment in their life that they wanted to continue that. And so they gathered from house to house so that they may continue to grow in the things of the Lord. That, that's, the church's assignment is to make disciples. Your assignment is to be a disciple. And that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this. That's where I'm going to land with this. Because the question may be, then what do I do? And, and the answer is to be a, to be a true disciple. Let, let, me, let me just tell you this. As, as a pastor, I am not concerned about anybody in CTC becoming a raging atheist. I'm not concerned about that at all. But I tell you what I am concerned about is whether the people in CTC will become true disciples. Become true disciples. To, to not just say, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Jew. I'm a Christian because I'm not Muslim. I'm a Christian because I'm not a Buddhist. But I'm a Christian because I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I want to follow him. Let me just tell you a startling figure. The word Christian is used in the Bible in the New Testament three times. The word disciple is used 281. Three times it uses the word Christian. 281 disciple. What would you think the emphasis of Jesus would be? It's to be a disciple of him. And so no matter where you are in your, in your walk, no matter where you are or not in your walk, that would be the challenge I have to you, to be, to be honest and ask yourself, am I truly a disciple? You might be one that answers that and honestly says no because I haven't even made a confession of faith to Jesus, and that would be certainly where you would want to start. It's one simple act of surrender to say indeed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And you follow that up by following the principles of the Lord. John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Listen, he said to those who believed in him, If you continue, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's that call to discipleship. It's one act of surrender. If you, if you, if you are a disciple, made a commitment to Jesus Christ, then, then you should be baptized. Follow that up with baptism. I love the story of uh, Trace Lynn. I hope I'm saying her name right this morning. Sitting at her home, sees the, the church service. Christ convinces her. And there indeed she decides and determines, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ and follow it up with baptism. 
That's the next step. And then I can encourage you to be present. Be present in Sunday services. Get into a city life group if you're not in one. Join one of the target ministries, whether it be a thin line ministry for those that are first responders and served in the military, one of the men's groups or one of the the women's groups. Uh, Get into one of those target ministries and allow your life to continue to be developed and to grow. And finally, you want to be a disciple maker. McClellan was brilliant. He was a strategist. He was a tactician. He was a great recruiter. And they all loved him as a leader, but he couldn't finish the mission. Folks, we got a mission to finish. I don't have to tell you, the people that's in your life, friends, family, co-workers that don't know Jesus, can I just ask you to think about it for a moment? Do you think their life would be better if they did? Do you think your life would be better (laughs) if they did? we got to finish the mission. It takes us as a church making disciples, but it takes you being a disciple maker. Everybody stand if you would. I'm going to do one prayer. Altar is open. Uh, You can come even and just, if you want to spend time worshiping before the Lord. But the altars are always open for prayer. Whatever you may need, these these dear folks here will pray with you. I'm going to do one prayer and let you go. They'll close us out with a song of worship. Again, God bless you and thank you for being being in the house of God. I pray that the Lord has had had an impact on you. I told first service, that's the service I practiced the message. This is a service that I give you the whole load. Y'all all right? Y'all doing all right? Father, I want to thank you for being such a good God, a gracious God. Thank you for allowing us to be together, be in the house. Lord, I pray that there's a real impression made upon each one of us. That we won't just be people who say out of our mouth that we're Christians. We'll follow him. We'll follow him. We'll finish the mission and we'll glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Altars are